If you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I do like listening and singing the oldies, the ones from the 1100s. That's what that one is. Not often you can say that you were in church today and you were singing songs written by or arranged by Sebastian Bach. I just think that's kind of cool. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as always, we are grateful for the privilege we have to come and to worship you. Father, we know we're able to come here to do this because of the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, who has saved us from our sins and we have been adopted into your family. So Lord, we're able to come and to adore you and to give you the reverence that you so rightly deserve. We can do so without fear of judgment because our sins have already been judged in Christ. We know we can come to you, Father, in our time of need and that we will find help, again, because of what Christ has done. He's made a way for us to be able to approach you, and we again approach you as sons. Father, we know that you do speak to us, and that you speak to us primarily really through your word. And so, Father, we ask that as you instruct us this morning that we will be attentive to the words that are, have been preserved for us, that, Father, we may know you and understand you, that we may be encouraged and strengthened to, con- to continue to live for you and to honor your name by the way we live. And so, Father, we ask your blessing on this time, and we do ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. As we continue to work our way through chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, again, keep in mind that what Paul is doing is Paul is exhibiting for us the attributes and the characteristics of a mature believer. In this conflict that has been recorded here in the church of Corinth, as Paul is responding to what's been going on with these individuals, these intruders who've come in and have really upset a lot of things in the church, Paul's written response to them reveals to us how he has matured in the Lord. And so as we look at this, again, as I mentioned before, we need to look for those things that stand out because these are areas that we need to make sure that we are addressing and that we're growing in as Christians that we will recognize that we, are, that we may need to mature in certain areas, or that we are maturing in certain areas. In verse 12, what Paul is doing is, is he refuses 
to compare himself with those who are recommending themselves to the church. Again, those who were trying to gain leadership in the church, what they were doing is they were writing letters of endorsement for each other with letters of introduction that would fill with self-praise. So there would kind of be the idea that, that um, so let's say that Robert and Tom and I all showed up at the same time here at the church. And so I present to you a letter written by Tom as to how great I am. And then what Tom does is he presents to you a letter that I wrote as to how great he is. And then Robert will present a letter that maybe Tom and I have written how wonderful of a music director that he is. And then along with that, I'll have a letter of introduction that will also tell you, in my own words, how great I am. I won't say that. I won't, say the, I won't use the word great. But I will kind of go through all the wonderful things that maybe I've been able to accomplish. That's what these individuals are doing. They're saying, oh, yeah, this guy, he is just so educated. He does this. He does that. And so, you know, it's kind of one friend recommending another friend. There's a story that I read. I think it's true. I cannot give you the names of the participants because I don't, I don't know them. But this happened back, I think, in the, it was two guys who went to Annapolis. They were in the Navy. And I don't know if it was the 50s or the 60s when they went. But they were two very good friends. And so they kind of made a pact with each other because they both had the same desire, and that was to rise in rank in the Navy as quickly as possible to make the, the rank of admiral. And their plan was that wherever they went, whenever any job came up for, and, and, and they were, someone was looking for a recommendation, they would recommend the other. And I'm talking about how great they were. And how incredible, you know, what kind of leadership skills they had and all those types of things. And they were faithful to each other in doing that. And they both, according to the story, made the rank of admiral in record time. Because they were, because, you know, what people hate is when you're always bragging about yourself. But when you're bragging about someone else, they listen. And so these guys had this thing going on and they, uh, according to the story, and I don't know how much of it was kind of maybe... Um, added to or padded, uh, but I guess they were at some kind of officer's party and they both basically congratulated each other uh, on keeping their pact and making uh, the rank of admiral at a very young age. So that's what these individuals were doing. So Paul is pointing that out again and saying that he is not engaging in that. What, and what does Paul think about this idea of self-praise and you know, all this adulation that's going on? Well, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, he said this, beginning in verse 1, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So there's a consistency with Paul, and basically he's already told them, this is how you are to think of me. You are not to think of me as being this eloquent apostle, this, this man with great authority. No, he just says, I'm a servant of Christ. And he truly means that. that that's, his, that's his concern. Because he wants to be involved in the ministry that God has given him. Now, with all that being said, Paul was really in a very difficult situation. One commentator said that, you know, when it comes to self-defense, it's almost impossible 
to defend yourself without self-commendation of some kind. And so Paul does have to talk about himself some, but he goes to great pains to make sure that he does it in such a way, as we pointed out last week, that he doesn't claim he's superior. He, he talks about himself, but then he doesn't go the next step and say, this is why I'm greater than these guys. This is why I'm better than these guys. That's not what he does. He just gives the facts and then he moves on. He mentions the things he's experienced and he moves on. But he's very careful not to set himself up as being this unique, special individual or maybe, as we've said before, where he kind of puts a fence around certain, a certain group of individuals who then, in a sense, become untouchable because they're the inner group. He doesn't do any of that. He truly presents himself as, like them, just different gifting recognizes the authority that he has, and he will use it. But he will use it for their advantage. He will use it to build them up. He will use it to glorify the Lord, not to just advance himself. In fact, in chapter 3 of 2 of Corinthians, Paul said, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. So basically, it's like he's saying, well, I know you have all these letters that these guys write for each other, but you are my letter. You are the evidence that I am accomplishing those things that God has called me to do, that I am accomplishing those things that God has gifted me to do. You are that living letter. You, are, you have experienced this yourself firsthand. So Paul didn't really need letters from some authority figure in order for the Corinthians to accept his credentials. The Corinthians themselves make up his credentials. And again, as he says, it was written by Christ, that Christ saved them and established them through Paul's ministry. Paul said that in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So again, Paul is really going about this in, in an incredible way, where he is not seeking to feed his ego. He is not seeking to, uh, again, promote himself in such a way that he's putting down others. Because that's oftentimes we know in the course of human relationships, people will do that kind of thing where we'll talk about maybe the negative aspects of others because it makes us look better or maybe uh, it makes us feel better than the other individuals or to be superior to them. And Paul is not going to get involved in that. In fact, in verse 12, Paul points out that the lack of an, of, of an objective standard here in this chapter is really just foolish. Again, he says, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with, with one another, they are without understanding so he says that's just foolish to do that. He wants the church to wake up to really what's going on and to recognize the emptiness of what's happening. Now, we don't want to misunderstand Paul. Paul is not saying that we should never assess competing claims. He's not saying just turn a blind eye and don't listen to anything they have to say. He's, he's not saying that. He's not saying burn their books, you know, and that kind of thing. But he wants them to assess these things in a proper way. And it's not by the kind of personality they have or just by the letters of endorsement they may be carrying around. Now, you know, there was a, uh, an early in the church, and this has gone on for a long time, one of the things that did go on in a good way 
is when one individual would travel, let's say a guy was a gifted speaker and, and he knew the word of God well, and he's going from one city to another, he might carry some letters with him from his denomination or from his superiors that he would give maybe to another church, and, and what that letter would do would be to talk about that individual. But again, most of the time, at least in the beginning, it was not to say how great the individual was. It was to reveal to them his character. The idea was, is we find this man fit for ministry. This man has been faithfully serving God for this number of years. This man faithfully preaches the word of God. Those letters of introduction that those men would carry on was not like, this guy is one of the greatest orators you've ever heard. You need to get him. That's not what they were doing. Now, it did. There was, there was some of that, and there's really a lot more of that today, that kind of thing. Uh, sometimes if you just kind of check uh, through the Internet, individuals who, you know, if, they're, if they call themselves a traveling evangelist or that kind of thing, they would sometimes have letters, or maybe they would write about themselves and talk about how, you know, they're the, one of the most interesting speakers on the planet uh, and those kinds of things. And I understand that to a degree, but we just, we just have to be so careful with that. Because really what we should be most concerned about is accuracy. Accuracy in handling the Word of God. That, that's what is most important. Sometimes just the fact that the individual is just a different person is interesting enough. Or the individual has maybe a particular kind of background makes his perspective interesting. But not because he has all of these wonderful attributes as a human being. Um, those may be nice, but we want to make sure that we don't fall into that because that's how the church almost has always gotten in trouble. It's not the only way, but it definitely is a way. Again, in verse two, the second part of verse 12 of chapter 10, he says, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So let me read a couple of things to you that uh, have gone on in the, what we call the modern church. I think uh, most of the context of these things are observations made by uh, other ministers or other ministries about what's going on in our culture. So this is not necessarily true of what, was, what is going on in South America, what's happening in Asia, even though these things do bleed over into these other regions, but it is a particular problem here. And it all begins with this, that many modern Christians today have become enamored with styles of leadership that's found in politics or in the entertainment industry. And so what happens is, maybe unwittingly, we transfer these secular criteria to the church. So as a result, we have, uh, we have pastors who reflect this celebrity style and the status that goes with it. Now keep in mind that we sometimes use the word celebrity pastor, and that's not always, it's usually in a negative context, but it's not always. Just because a pastor is well known does not necessarily mean he's a celebrity pastor. Sometimes individuals are well known because of their very strong, accurate teaching of the Word of God, and that's great. But then there are others, maybe many others, who are the celebrity type. They've gotten, they, they have uh, become well known because of their appearances on the news, or maybe their appearances on Fox News, uh, their appearance here, their appearance there. So that's how they're gaining celebrity status, and that can be a very dangerous thing. And then, of course, to maintain that status, they resort to name-dropping, like other famous people they've been around, other famous people that they know. So there was a pastor that I know. He's, we're, we're friends. We're not really good friends, but we're friends. And, um, you know, I know a couple years ago there was a big to-do about Kanye West. If you don't know who he is, it doesn't matter. A lot of individuals know who he is. He's famous. Um, and he, uh, according to many articles, he became a believer. 
I don't know if he did or not, but, but uh, maybe, maybe he did. A lot of things changed in his life, but maybe not enough. But not, nonetheless, uh, he was brought to a church, and he, and he began to attend a Bible study. It was taught by this guy. He's a friend of mine who began to, um, to disciple him and even appeared with him at some of his, I guess it was kind of a concert slash worship thing. And then this, this pastor, Pastor West, would go, and, and, and he did what I would have expected him to do. He preached the gospel. He, he preached the word of God. Uh, and Adam, that's his name, Adam has never gone on and talked about his association with Kanye West. He hasn't done that. He, he, he doesn't brag about it. Uh, he doesn't even bring it up. It's just not a thing. Kanye was just another individual who needed Christ, and he shared the gospel. And if he was coming, he was going to feed him the word of God. He was invited to preach, and he went and he preached. That's what he did. But he, there was no interest in, in dropping that name to gain the limelight and that type of thing. I think most people don't even know who he is anymore because things kind of move on. And so that's, that's where we need to be. So my friend Adam is a very mature believer in that sense. Uh, that he's just a, that, that did not, he wasn't swayed by that. It didn't lure him into that arena uh, in that way. There was an article in a Christian magazine the past couple of years that said this. There is something seriously wrong in the Christian leadership culture when those in leadership envision celebrity as a means to influence people. Even though influence exists as an inherent byproduct of leadership, it is not something to be pursued and possessed as a kind of currency. Leaders must be wary of falling into the trap of thinking that in order to possess and leverage influence, you must build your personal celebrity. That's not a new concept been around for a long time, the idea that if I can become well-known, then I'll be able to influence more people for Christ. Well, maybe, maybe not. Don't be concerned about that. Let God take care of that. If God wants you well-known, then so be it. And if you're not, be faithful where you've been planted, kind of a thing. And there are some who are very well-known. And, and my belief, the ones that I admire, in the sense that I respect them, uh, they, they possess certain attributes and gifts and character that enables them to handle a lot of this fame or being recognized that comes their way. And the ones that are good have remained humble. They, they know that they're well-known, but, you know, they have that one-track mind. They're, they know what got them there, so to speak. They, they're faithful in teaching the Word of God. doesn't change. You know, they, they, never, they never decide to preach or not preach on a passage or a subject based on how it'll be viewed by others. What does the word of God say? Then let's explain it. Let's move on. And that's what they do. John MacArthur, who is one of those individuals who's very well known, he says this, false teachers tend to be megalomaniacs who become enraged at those who would limit their grandiose designs. They continually seek to widen their influence and gain greater prestige, fame, and wealth. To that end, they often overstate or even falsify their qualifications and gifts. The false apostles presented the Corinthians with a rather amazing resume. They claimed greater power, uh, oratorical orator skills, and influence than Paul. And so that's how they were gaining their influence. That's what was going on. Really, the concerns of a Christian leader about himself should not really be his celebrity status. He should be more focused on prayer, personal integrity, humility, and conformity to Christ. That's what's important. That's what's what going to keep him true to the ministry, whatever that ministry is that God has led him to. So in verses 13 through 15, the first part of verse 15, Paul, he does outline the limitation on boasting. Because again, there's this, he's, you know, boasting is not necessarily always wrong in and of itself. It's the way that, that you go about it. 
And so Paul is going ahead and using that word for what they're doing and for what he's doing. He's using the word for the same for both. But I think he's doing so so they can't maybe point out the word as you say, well, he's using different words on purpose to make himself look better or to make himself appear humble. He's not worried about appearing humble. He really is. And so if you look at verse 13, he says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. Basically, God had assigned a field in which Paul was to work. It was a very large field, by the way. Same way I believe that God will assign men to pastor certain churches, the size of that church. You know, churches go up and down and, and whatever. I mean, I mean I thought the, the ones who are really seeking to, to serve God the right way. God determines all of that. Wherever God has assigned you, you, just, you need to work hard there. Remember once I was hearing a, a message by a preacher from, I don't know if he was from England or Scotland, um, and I think his name is Alexander White. Uh, it was, he's one of those guys that does, by the way, has a tremendous accent. Um, it's just really, you want to listen to what he has to say. And he preached in a very methodical way that was extremely interesting and had great content and depth. And he had been pastoring a church for over 20 years. It was a church of 60 people. Put this guy in a lot of other cities, and there would have been hundreds and hundreds, or maybe thousands, to come hear this man. Highly educated, very important. Uh, and he was just working away, teaching those individuals the Word of God. And, and it kind of goes contrary to often our thinking as Americans as to we might even think, wow, what a waste. I mean, a guy's just, a guy can speak like this and teach like this is amazing. Amazing. I, I, I've learned so much from this one message. It's just, it's unbelievable. I've been so encouraged. Then he's pastoring 60 people? Yes, absolutely. And was absolutely satisfied because that's where God had placed him. And so whether it's 60 or 600 or 6,000 is immaterial in this way. We serve in the field that's been assigned to us by God. And that's what Paul says that, that he is doing. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. So as I said, it was a pretty broad arena that he was assigned to. But he also was to go where no other apostle had ministered. That was one of the things he mentions in his letters. That he wanted to go where the gospel had not yet been preached. That doesn't mean that everybody has to follow that. But that's what he was following. He believed that's what God wanted him to do. He was a, a pioneer preacher to the Gentiles. And so that's where his focus was. So Paul then is going to take credit only for those things that God had permitted him to do. So the idea was, is that even though there were things he had accomplished, it was because of the gifting of God, it was because of the work of God, it was because of the blessing of God, it was all because of what God was doing through him. Not because of his greatness, not because of his, his uh, great organizational skills or anything else that he had. And of course, included in that group was his coming to Corinth. You see, the intruders, what they had done, is they were, in a sense, boasting of work that was done by others as if they had a hand in it. That's why he says, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. So all that to say is that's not, he's not interested in doing that. He's not going to boast about what others have done and pretend he had a hand in it. That's not what he's doing. <coughs> 
In fact, when you look at verses 12 all the way through 16, the bragging is, bragging as a whole is irretrievably bound up with the past. So for Paul, and the lesson for us is really to keep looking to the future. He, he mentions the past, he's aware of the past, but he's not dwelling on the past. He wants to move forward. He, he's not designed to move forward to build a bigger building and a better building at all. No, he wants to go to other places and preach the gospel. He's, he's hungering to get there. And, and of course, what he's done is, you know, he's, he's been in Corinth and he's discipled them. He brought the gospel, he discipled them, helped them to establish the church. And he's kind of, you know, taking care of some things. He's visited them a few times to kind of shore up some areas that need to be addressed. And he's been writing letters to them to address some of their problems. And it's almost like he feels kind of stuck. Like, I, I need to get over here and you guys are holding me back. You know, I need to move on. I need to go forward and, and you guys got these problems again. And, and they need to be addressed. And so there's, there's this tension that he's experiencing. Because again, he mentions here, so that we may what? Preach the gospel. It lands beyond you. So basically, as the faith of the Corinthians grew, and as they matured, he could have expanded his area of activity by evangelizing other Gentiles in the regions beyond them, even as far away as Spain, as he says in Romans. Paul wanted to consolidate the gains in Corinth before moving on. He wanted to make sure they were fully discipled. But they've, they've taken some steps backwards. Paul told the Corinthians that the only thing that had kept him from going on to the regions beyond was their own lack of faith. Now remember now, their lack of faith is seen in their disobedience to the word of God. Remember, he's not caught up in that they're following these individuals. That is the impetus. That is the issue that's taking place. But these individuals, because Paul isn't worried about someone coming in and leading them. If, that, if those individuals are going to lead them in the scripture and in, in the right way, Paul's fine with that. But what his concern is, they've been led astray and they're living in disobedience to what the word of God says. Had they been submissive to his leadership and obedient to the word of God, and remember now that when the Bible speaks of leadership in the church, that, again, that's always what that is. That is submission to leadership that's leading in the word of God. Right? The idea is for us to obey scripture, for us to grow together what the word of God says. When we encourage each other to maybe stop doing things, it's not because we just think on our own something's a bad idea. What does the Bible say? And if the Bible doesn't get into that arena or that area, then we just, we just move on. We don't deal with that. We don't worry about that just because we're different. But the idea is that being submissive then to leaders in the church is never about building up their ego, their ego and it's never because they're the boss. There's no boss here. I'm the pastor. I'm not the boss. And so I don't even have a shirt that says, yes, I'm the boss. Because right? I'm not. Right? People may want my opinion on things. Hopefully, if they want my opinion, hopefully it's because you know, they're assuming that it's, that it's going to have something to do with being based on Scripture. And that is really what I'm going to try to give them. If it's not, I'll say, well, I don't know if the Bible really says much about that. This is what I think, but you know, take it or leave it. And so we want to make sure that we recognize that. Because you know, we have a hard time with being submissive in our culture. You know, being submissive is a dirty word. You know, somehow it means that you are inferior or you are weak. It doesn't mean that. Never has, never will. It, it's, an, you know, it's, our, it's our ego that has a hard time with submitting, even though we all submit to other people all the time. Even men who brag about being the leader at home submit to their wives. And they should. There's a mutual submission that's there. Yes, they are the leader. 
I know you've heard this before. I always think it's hilarious. This uh, preacher preached a message on the leadership of the husband. And this old lady came out and she said, Pastor, that was such a great, great message. He said, well, I was concerned how you would take it because I preached so strongly on the man being the leader of the home. She said, oh, yeah, my husband is the head of our home. And then she took one step and stopped. And she said, and I'm the neck that turns the head. <laughs> I bet you they probably had a really great marriage. But the thing is, is that that's what Paul's talking about when he, when he says this. So it's not because he wants to be the boss man in this. So again, if they had been submissive to his leadership, if they had been obedient to the word of God, he could have gone on to reach others. But they were creating so many problems for him, he had to take time from missionary evangelism to solve the problems in the church. And that's kind of, I think, what's bothering him here. Again, verse 15. As your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Remember that as we grow in faith, the idea of growing in faith is we are living in obedience to Scripture. That's what that is. I believe what the Scripture says. It's seen in my obedience to Scripture. Growing in faith is not just this idea you know more about God today than you did last week. That helps. But there's, but there's always this idea of, of gaining knowledge and submission or, or, or the Bible having greater influence on you, changing who you are, helping us become more like Christ. And so he says lastly in verses 17 and 18, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So simply put, Paul is prepared to brag about what God had done for him in the cross of Christ and what God had done through him by the Holy Spirit, but he is not prepared to brag about his talent, wealth, power, wisdom, eloquence, etc. He's not willing to go there. Besides, what we do have we have received. Again, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? A paraphrase of that verse reads this way. For, you do, for, for, who, you, for who do you know that really knows you, knows your heart? And even if they did, is there anything they would discover in you that you could take credit for? Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? So as he says, ultimately what matters is whether or not we gain the Lord's approval. The main difference pointed out by Paul between himself and the intruders is in this question, whose approval do we seek? I know it's human nature that we want others to like us and we want others to approve what we're doing and to a degree that's not sinful. But ultimately, whose approval is it that you're seeking that determines the decisions that you make? It should be the Lord. That's Christian maturity. That's what we see here. Remember, this is a real situation. These individuals are talking about Paul. They're stirring things up and talking very negatively about him. You know, we're used, we do that all the time. In a sense, uh, if you ever get around those who like football, and if your football team's not winning, who do you talk bad about? A dumb coach. The guy has no idea what he's doing. Running the ball when he should be throwing the ball, throwing the ball when he should be running the ball in his defense. Do they even know what a football looks like? And we just go through all these things that's going on that bothers us. Do you think that coach has no idea that what's being said about him in, in, in sports bars and homes across the country? He knows all that. 
But he's clearly not trying to seek their approval. That would be foolish if he did try to do that. So we know the kind of thing that, that goes on. And then, you know, they talk about how sometimes coaches are under all this pressure because the media jumps on and starts questioning everything they do, the whole armchair quarterback kind of thing. So, we, so we, what we need to recognize is that this is a very real situation in the sense that if these things, if people were saying things about you, negative things about you, some things true, some things not true, some things exaggerated, how are you going to respond to that? How are you going to handle that? A mature believer is able to assess the situation. They're still able to talk about the things they have done that may even be praiseworthy, but recognize that they want the approval of the Lord, and that's who it is they're living for and in essence working for. And those things are in his hands. And so we don't have to put others down or try to prove how much better we are than anyone else to gain the approval of the world. We really can trust God. This really is the better way. And this does serve the purposes of God. And that is what is most important in any field or any arena that we may be in. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for really the incredible person that Paul is and for preserving the word for us where who would have known that this conflict in this church that Paul is striving to resolve would be such a great example of Christian maturity and humility. We pray, Lord, that we would take these things to heart and that we would seek to grow in this way, to become satisfied with you and with your approval, enabling us, Father, to properly assess situations that we find ourselves in, that we may respond appropriately. To see, Lord, that it's not just how we respond appropriately in a church, but how we would respond appropriately in all areas of life. That we're called to be mature believers, not just in church, but at home and at work, even in highly competitive fields. We can be different. We don't have to be like the world. We ask, Father, that you would guide and direct us and strengthen us to be so. Give us, Father, firm conviction of the truth of the Word of God, that we would live by it, that we would submit to what it says, that our faith may be on display in many ways. As always, Father, we pray for those here who do not know Christ, who may be struggling a great deal with sense of, a sense of security, a sense of not belonging, a sense of not having the approval of others, whether it's their own family or those around them. We pray that you would help them to recognize that whatever type of approval they get from others, especially if it's based on performance, will always be empty. It will never be satisfying. I pray they recognize that the most important approval we need, though that is truly all satisfying in every way, is have the approval of the maker of the universe, the one who made us, the one who loved us and proved his love for us by sending Christ into the world. We ask, Lord, you help them to recognize that and to see that they're not just a victim of being rejected by others, but they themselves have rejected others. And it begins by rejecting you. So I ask, Lord, you would help them to see the separation between themselves and you. And they would recognize that you have made all the effort, done all the work to bring that relationship together by sending Christ to sacrifice himself for our sins. So, Father, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us and for the confidence that we can have in you. Bless us, Father.
We are needy people, and we need your help. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.